Well, thank you, Sean, for uh, inviting me down. Um, you know, I'm humbled and honored to be here. Uh, I really respect this guy, and I love this guy. And I know for some of you, you're going, oh, Sean isn't preaching this morning. So hopefully, something that I will say will stick with you. And uh, uh, if I didn't say anything at all today, and I'm going to say this from the heart, and I'm looking for her, and I can't find her. She slipped. Maybe she already went home. But Becky, I, I tell you, what a blessing, you guys, uh, being here this morning in the orchestra. Mm. I love it. It sounded great. So um, we've already been blessed. So thank you very much for being here. Uh, Sean has asked me to share my passion for discipleship. I think over the years, the term itself can be intimidating, often overlooked and set aside, but perhaps how I really feel as I've embraced this calling to disciple is how misunderstood it is for those who follow Christ. I want us all to leave here with a different perspective on the importance of it. I'm humbled that Sean would choose me to share my calling and to embrace this fourth chair, the disciple-making chair, the chair that has made my life full, my life complete, and my life full of purpose. It's been such a passion of mine that I wrote a book last year called The Unlikely Discipler, and I'll share that passion with you this morning. But my challenge as I leave here today will be for you to embrace discipleship and to put it into motion in your life. There are other words that might be less intimidating. The role of the follower of Christ is to grow someone in their faith, lead them, and teach them. Maybe mentor sounds better. I actually like the word, especially when I'm starting a journey with some new believer. Discipleship just sounds kind of intimidating. But one term I really love is shepherding. It's a beautiful word, and it brings to mind a caring person that leads, feeds, and teaches his flock of sheep. In the Gospels, there are so many references to discipling, mentoring, and shepherding that we can't ignore this calling. We are in week four of our series on four-chair discipling. If you are visiting for the first time, or if you've missed a week or two, let me review those chairs. Dan Spader puts it into four chairs of progress in just our, our faith uh, growth. Chair one is the seeker. That's the person that uh, wants to find something beyond what this world has to offer. They're open to God but far from any relationship. We all have someone in our lives right now that we wish we could, that would just walk through those doors. We all have somebody who goes, I just wish they would come here on a Sunday morning. But I don't know that that's exactly what God would want. I think God would want us to walk with someone through those doors, not expect them to come through all on their own. Or better yet, I think he would love it if we took someone to the Magic Morning Bakery. That's what it's called, right? <laughs> okay. And start a conversation over a cup of coffee. That's where discipleship can begin. Now, chair two is where the seeker becomes a believer. Chair two is the infant stage of one's faith walk. Excited, but easy to become comfortable in having arrived at accepting Christ. 
Chair two is learning without engaging. It's good, but there's so much farther to go. I think the best example I can give is attending church on Sunday, worshiping, praying, enjoying fellowship, and then returning the next Sunday. Chair three is about engaging in a relationship with Christ, getting involved in God's story, growing and taking one's faith walk to the next level. This growth changes who we are. Chair three allows us to seek the truth and wisdom and to live life accordingly. We've taken learning and shifting into doing, serving, and being the hands and feet of Christ in our daily walks. So now we're to chair four. Chair four is becoming a discipler, teaching and bringing others into a, a growing relationship with Christ. Here we go from being a disciple to being a discipler. Today, chair four symbolizes with a stool and a basin and a towel, reminiscent of Jesus' servant attitude when he washed the disciples' feet. Now, this isn't about washing feet, but it's about developing a servant's heart that makes a difference in the life of others. Disciples making disciples. Does that sound intimidating? Take a deep breath. If this ordinary guy raised on a farm in southern Indiana can make disciples, you can too. Discipling. I hope I can encourage each of you today to embrace this biblical command. In fact, I will promise you that your life will be fuller when you accept Jesus' command to disciple. And if you are being mentored, or if you've been discipled, you already know what an impact that can make on your life. So, do I have to do it? Well, let's look at Christ's words. The great commissions that so many churches are founded upon should be on the screen. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Jesus is asking us, his followers, to go out and make disciples, to teach them, to delve into who this man Jesus was so that we can emulate him and bring people to the understanding of a full life. Even when this command seems overwhelming, look at the last sentence. And surely I am with you always. I find great comfort in that. He is with us always. Now, I think if we were all honest, we have read the Great Commission many times and haven't really embraced it as a call. For me personally, um, there's a passage in Psalm 71 that has haunted me from the moment I heard it. And even though David penned it, it was the passage that spoke to me and sparked my obedience to mentor and disciple. And it reads... Even to old age and gray hair, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. That was a trigger moment for me. When I heard that passage, that was my calling. That was what spoke to me more than anything else. Uh, and then, once it did, God put more discipleship opportunities in my path than I could have ever imagined. And look closely at the passage, proclaiming your might to another generation. Notice he doesn't just say a younger generation. 
he says to another generation. So if you're in that golden age of life and just beginning to know Christ, seek someone who can help you grow your faith. If we are to disciple as Jesus commanded us to do, you and I have to understand the qualifications to do so. So grab your pens. If you've got a pen, I want to give you those qualifications. Put the pens down. You don't need them at all. <laughs> There's only two, okay? Jesus asked two things of us to be qualified to disciple, to love God and to love others. That's the qualifications. I think everyone in this room qualifies to be a discipler. Look at the 12 disciples. Who are these 12? Can you name them all? Good. I'd rather you not know their names. I would rather you know this fact about them. They were all ordinary, just like you and me. There was not one great theologian amongst the disciples. They were unlikely disciples. A tax collector, fisherman, a tradesman. I titled my book An Unlikely Discipler because that title fitted me perfectly. I'm a businessman, I'm a salesman, and I'm a broken man. We all have the qualifications. Ordinary people who love God and love others. I want to share with you how God has used me to disciple. I believe God has a mission field for all of us. Yours may be right here in Bedford or Mitchell. Allow me to share my mission field and know that you can do the same wherever God has put you. We're called to make disciples, and I believe he has us just where he wants us. So whether it be your workplace, your town, wherever God has you, that's your mission field. Mine is one of the biggest mission fields you'll ever see. No place overseas, but a place you have all touched, Indiana University. Over the past 12 years, I have discipled over 75 college men, walking with them and then sending them out to make disciples wherever their careers and their lives take them. And I know what you're thinking. How can that be possible? Um, I want to tell you how my discipleship story actually started. I had a young man that came into my office, and uh, this happens a lot, somebody wanting money for something. And this young man wanted to start a little 500 bicycle team. So, good, I got a smile already. Little 500 provokes an image, doesn't it? Everybody has their thought of what little 500 was. But I said, explain, explain a little bit more to me about what you're wanting to do. Well, he goes, you know, I'm from Anderson, Indiana. I'm uh, living at the Christian Student Fellowship House. And I believe that I could use this bike team for a ministry on probably the most infamous weekend in Bloomington, Indiana. So I listened more, and I talked to him, prayed about it, and I met back up with him. And I said, you know what? There's something about this that really appeals to me. So I met with him, and then he asked me something that uh, kind of caught me off guard. He said, would you disciple me? And I thought, gosh, am I qualified to do that? 
and I realized that I wanted to, there was a reason why he was in my office at that morning. So I started to disciple him, and multiplication happened. Of course, there were other guys on the bike team. And then those guys would talk to somebody about meeting with Carrie for a cup of coffee. And all of them had a goal. They all wanted to grow their faith. But where were they at? They were in the middle of Indiana University. And there's just a lot of distractions. But they all had a heart to want to follow Christ. They just needed someone to guide them. So that was where my story began. And here's what I've learned. And this may surprise you a little bit. Church is not the place where discipleship happens. This is a place where we get fed. This is a place where we gather a lot of things. But discipleship happens in these conversations that happen outside of church. I also learned that there's no cookie-cutter recipe for discipleship. Every one of my 75-plus guys are uniquely different, just as God has created all of us uniquely different. And here's where discipleship fails. If we want to get to the end result without taking the proper steps, discipleship isn't about fixing someone. It's about walking with someone. So the first step to discipleship, I think that's very critical, is building that relationship. God created all of us to be relational, and the most successful discipleship journeys begin with developing a relationship with someone. I believe if you pray and ask God to put someone in your path, he will. Ask God to slow down your pace, open your eyes wider. There may be someone in your row today, at your workplace, in your life group, just waiting for someone like you to ask them to grab a cup of coffee. Develop a relationship, get to know each other, and seek God in your journey together. I've got a couple little funny stories I'll tell. My family's here. They're like, oh, do I have to hear this one again? But two things is uh, I tell my shower story for the guys in, uh, um, that I disciple. I ask the guys, hey, when do you take your shower? And then they give me that funny look. And most say in the morning. And I said, you know, everybody takes a shower the same. You either wash your hair first, you wash your body first, but no one usually shakes it up, especially guys. I said, that is your time, first thing in the morning with God. And I said, ask him to make your day matter. Ask him to keep your eyes open wide, to see people in your path, and he will. Start your day that way. Um, the other story that I like to tell is at my workplace. Um, if an employee comes into my office... You know, it's typically never about working conditions or wage or a complaint. It's typically never that. But if they say to me, hey, have you got a minute? I need to pay attention. There's something on their heart. And it may have been weeks before they decided that they wanted to come up and, and talk to me about something. So just once aware, be aware of your surroundings. People are hungry for something more in life. They're coming up short. And they're looking for something. And uh, just be aware. I think that's, that's where God has used me because he's made it so clear that I need to be um, aware of everything that's going on around me. The other thing is to build trust. Trust is the foundation for a successful discipleship journey. Trust has to be earned by both parties. Trust comes from listening well and trying not to be the person with all the answers. Once trust is earned, Discipling can be achieved. 
I love what Dan Spader, who wrote The Four Chair Discipleship, says because he's right on. Number one, you have to cultivate a relationship, you have to plant seeds, and then you reap the harvest in celebrating their growth and the vibrant relationship with Christ. They bear fruit. I love to tell this story because it's one of my favorite out of the Bible. Um, it's a life-changing exchange between Jesus and his disciple Peter after Jesus returns from the cross. Let's look at John 21, 15 through 17. It should be on the screen. I'm going to read it to you. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him a second time, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him for the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I think this passage is just brilliant. Jesus gave Peter the opportunity to confess his love for him as many times as he did what? Betrayed him. This is the beginning of an, a, yet another commission for us who disciple from Jesus' words to Peter. Peter's called to disciple just as Christ discipled him. We're called to disciple just as Christ commissioned us to do. And if you read Peter's letters in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, you will see um, that he is a man who was faithful to the gospel to the end. Peter fed faithfully for the rest of his life. And as it began, Jesus says, follow me. We want others to follow Christ, so how can we go on this journey with someone? And if you're someone wanting to be discipled, seek out that person God lays on your heart that you believe will take the time to love you and grow your faith. In speaking about the discipleship journey, I have an illustration that I think helps bring this all together. It's a roadmap of Indiana. Ah, there it is. I love this illustration. I use this often uh, with my college guys, especially when I first started on the journey with them. I put up the map of Indiana and I asked them, where's Evansville and where's Fort Wayne? Well, here's something that you will probably find humorous. Do you know that most young people, sorry, Joseph, James, Savannah, my kids out here, <laughs> they use their apps for navigation. They don't have the Rand McNally roadmap that I had. And, you know, sometimes they go, well, I think Evansville is in the southern part of Indiana, but we establish where Evansville is at and we establish where Fort Wayne is at. So I would ask this question, and somebody can blurt this out. How do you get from Evansville to Fort Wayne? I? 69, exactly. Sometimes it's hard, but that's, that's the way we get to, from Evansville to Fort Wayne. So what we do is we decide that this is our discipleship journey. My time with, with a college student from freshman to senior year, we go on a discipleship journey. 
We use Evansville as chair one, really. This is where somebody's new in their faith. The goal is to get to Fort Wayne, and Fort Wayne really is where we, we're in the presence of our maker. So that's our goal, our life end goal. So we're on this journey from Evansville all the way up to Fort Wayne. So we try to identify, where are you at on your faith journey? Some are, some are just starting. Some are, guys, some are up to Bloomington, which is really uh, neat. And the goal is, where can we get to by the end of the year? If you're in Bloomington, gosh, if we can just get to Martinsville, then we will have grown on our journey. If we're in Martinsville, let's get to 465. So it's this chair two, chair three that we're, we're constantly working on, growing our faith and becoming closer to Christ through a journey of growth. But what happens on that road? We all know what happens, except it's a little bit better right now. But uh, we have road construction, don't we? Road construction, you know what that represents? That represents the tough times in life. Those bumps in the road, those unanswered questions, those doubts that they have. Sometimes that slows down our journey growing closer to Christ. We do hit road construction on the way, but those are great things to talk about. What about those alternate routes? Who always knows a better way to get somewhere? My dad did. He knew every back road. Who knows a better way to get there? Okay, well, sometimes we find that when we think we're in control, we get off on that gravel road, it doesn't get us where we need to go, and we have to back up and get back on smooth payment. That happens a lot uh, in life. Your life, it happens a lot in college men's life. There are distractions. Whether you're 18 to 22, whether you're 40, whether you're 60, there's distractions, and we get off on that wrong road, but if somebody's walking with you, we can get back on smooth payment. So the discipleship process is a journey. It's a journey to grow our relationship with Christ, a journey to get from Evansville to Fort Wayne with all the obstacles, a journey just like Jesus told us we would have when he said, in this life you will have many trials. Keep on course and trust him. Wouldn't it be amazing if we all had someone on the journey with us, encouraging us, and loving us. Do a little exercise right now. You'll like this one because you get to close your eyes. Close your eyes and think about what I have to say. Think of someone who has discipled you or mentored you, someone who has changed your life. Fix your eyes on their face. Thank God right now for their presence in your life. And if you're desiring someone to disciple you, to walk with you, and grow your faith in Christ, to love you unconditionally, maybe a face will appear to you. And if so, ask God to affirm that person to disciple you and boldly ask them to have that first cup of coffee. You can wake up now. I'm going to wind down just saying a few things that um, I want you to hear. I've been a blessed man. A decade of intentional relationships. If I could give each of you just one gift from God, 
it would be what he's given me, a calling to invest in lives, a calling to disciple. The kingdom of God needs every one of us to be disciplers, seeking opportunities to use your homes, your office, your favorite spot, maybe even the banks of Lake Monroe. I prayed both of my sons, Joseph and James, who are here this morning, which I hope you have a chance to meet, and my new daughter, Savannah. Uh, I prayed that they would have intentional relationships in their life. Both have had stories of men and women who discipled them and invested in them. My discipleship ministry hasn't been without tears, but there have been absolutely no regrets. Sometimes I shake my head in disbelief of how God has opened up so many doors for me to grow lives into a deeper relationship with him. I prayed that my four and five years that I spend with college men will give them a solid foundation and a passion to grow others in their walk with Christ. Of the 75-plus college men I've discipled, every story has been different, and every stage of growth on their faith journey varies. What always stays the same comes every May. We reach that pinnacle of graduating, the excitement of a career ahead, relationships formed, just what God would want. I get to send them out to impact lives and make a difference in this world. Cars are packed, hugs are given, and a huge wave as the taillights disappear. It never gets easier. My knees buckle when they can't see me in their rearview mirror, but my life has been changed for good. Today I challenge you to experience this joy Embrace chair four. No, I want you to jump into chair four. And if you are here today and you're seeking a church home, I invite you to come and visit with me or any of these, look around the room, unlikely disciplers that call Sherwood Oaks home.